welcome back to the Wednesday's Child podcast. So we've got a really interesting episode here. Um, you are joined today by my co-host on the session today is Abby Reynolds, who you will have uh, heard from on previous episodes. How are you doing, Abby, up there in Scotland? Very well. The sun has finally come out up here. So uh, yeah, all good for the weekend. Oh, wow, you've sent the rain my way. I'm on the Suffolk coast and apparently about an hour away from the storm. So okay, <laughs> I'll look forward to that. Now, our, our guest is someone that actually uh, Abby has introduced uh, me to initially, and I'm really looking forward to this chat. I think um, those of you out there who like to hear about people that take a different stance on therapy and come from a different perspective on eating disorders, I think you'll take a lot from this episode. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Mary Franklin-Smith, who is a drama therapist. Hi, Mary. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Abby. How are you doing? So Hi. great to be with you. Yeah, it's awesome to be with you. So where in the world are you? So right now I am in Halifax in West Yorkshire. Ah, excellent. Well, I'm from see... Cambridge, but I live here. Okay, well I can see the sun streaming through your window, so uh, it's obviously a good day with you too. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not raining yet, so that's good. Okay. <laughs> so let's, let's dig in um, to start with. Let's talk about your work. So drama therapy, who needs drama therapy, what good's drama therapy, and does it just work, or is it just people flancing around in a room pretending to be actors? Okay, so I suppose the thing is, is that when I talk about my work, I think about um, drama therapy is, is one of the trainings that I've done. And what I like to say is, is I'm not here to, this is going to sound strange, but I'm not here to sell a certain sort of therapy. I suppose if I was going to try and sell and advocate for anything, it would be human to human relationship and contact. Um, because when, when I meet with someone or when we meet with someone, it's the relationship, really. It's the trust. Um, and it's the feeling listened to, heard, understood, that really makes a difference. I think that that's where I, that's where I would start. And so when I meet with somebody, I like to try to get to know them um, and work out what's going on with them. And the best I can, deeply listen to their story, their narrative, the, how the world looks to them, understand their reality. And then best I can work from my own sort of intuition to make offers of, of, of exercises, of things we can try out, of, of, of understandings that, we can, that I can share. And sometimes I do that completely using the arts because that's sort of my language. It's kind of my mother tongue, I suppose, is to, is to really see that the language of the social and emotional mind is metaphor and images and music and art and imagery and nature because I think that it helps us bypass the intellect and go into the soul and go into that, the unconscious stuff. Um, so it's, I suppose really when I'm talking to people, even as I'm talking to you now, I don't, I don't, I'm not here to talk about theories. I'm here to talk about humans. Do you know what I mean? And when I'm with somebody, um, I think often what it occurs, it occurs to me that um, using those things I've just listed will help somebody uh, come out of their heads and into their body a bit more. And that's always my aim is to help someone. Yeah. I think you hit on something that just absolutely struck a chord with me. So with my past lived experience of an eating disorder, you, you talked about bypassing intellect. And I would say to people, you know, I sat in many a therapist's chair, but I wanted to out intellectualize them. 
I could, I absolutely knew what they wanted to hear from me and I could tell them what they needed to hear from me. It wasn't going to get me well, but it was going to get that 45 minute session done with so I could just move on and stay in love with my eating disorder. And I think the angle that you come from really speaks to that idea that particularly with something as pernicious as an eating disorder, sometimes we have to get into that kind of person and the relationship that that person has with that illness beyond the brain beyond the normal kind of gray matter i'm i'm smarter than this illness i can i'm smarter than this therapist i I think sometimes we just have to have a different strategy with does that make sense to you i mean i i know that you kind of you've been in that world of eating disorders and we can talk about that more but just would you say you see that absolutely so it's about being experiential as much as possible you know because when we go up here brain to brain intellect to intellect we can be really clever and as you say you can make you can understand you can most of the people that I meet who are whether whether it's in the NHS or in my private practice who have suffered with an eating disorder will already be able to tell me their formulation they'll already be able to tell me the who what where when's why's of it they understand what they need to do that's not the problem (laughs) the problem is do is the doing the problem is the being the problem is the is the sitting in the discomfort and 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 tolerating all of the all of the multiple colors of the human experience that's that's where the that's where the stuckness is Mm -hmm. so it's almost so so i guess of course i do use my training in drama therapy but it's it's not just that it's it's my my training as we've all got we've all been human we're all human so we've all got our own insecure thinking going on we've all got our own um, inner critic that's at play we, you know and it's and it, they all have different languages and different um things to say but we but we're all human right so we all we, and we all have an intuition so for me it's about what unites us as a what what unites me with my with the human that sat in front of me i don't even want to call them a patient what unites us what brings us together because the thing is is that deep down i know that the human in front of me who's suffering knows they know what's the problem and they also know the way out they do know that but they don't know they know that so my only job is to help them connect with their intuitive self their the their their body wisdom my job is to point out what is being overlooked because the truth is this is how it looks to me see what you think of this is that the answer is so simple it boggles the brain yeah (laughs) you know it's it's too simple because the brain i was stood in tesco's the other day with my kids and i noticed this massive rack of magazines brain teasers sudoku word searches the brain loves a problem it loves it for fun (laughs) <laughs> so the brain's going to get oh you know get right roll your sleeves up now let's work this out and then what about that what about that and actually the whole time that we're up in our heads doing something intellectual and, and drawing things out and doing our formulation the body is signaling its wisdom the body is guiding the way forward the feelings are showing us what we need so i guess what, how it looks to me is let it's my job to a connect with my own intuitive self and notice my own insecure thinking and really be conscious of that and when I'm doing that, B, point out, you see what you just said there? What, do you, what are you feeling as you say that in your body? Where do you feel that sensation? Is it in your hands? Is it in your gut? How is it feeling even? What sen- do you know what I mean? Like, so really pointing out what is unseen, what we can't, not, I'm like the, the, the behaviors are after the horse has bolted. That's like, 
I want to go upstream with everyone that I meet. Let's go back here. Let's go back to source. Um, and let's, let's look for when your intuitive self got covered up from you. But just because it's covered up, it doesn't mean it's not there. So it's, for me, it's so important to hold ill health and innate health equally in mind when I'm working with somebody. I guess that must really resonate for you, Abby, as well. I mean, you know, you've been kind of fairly recently tackling sort of some real big hurdles in your recovery journey. You must sort of hear so much of what Mary says and say, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it was interesting when you were saying that and I was thinking about um, uh, my husband and the first, I suppose, when I, well, when I first started treatment and um, I remember him saying after a few months, he said, I just... I just don't get it. You you can talk exactly about what's going on. You can speak objectively about what you know is a kind of disordered thought and what's what's a logical thought. And you you know you know what you need to do. You know you need to eat regularly. You know you need to put on weight. You, you know he said you know all this, and yet I don't. And yet you're not doing it. And I, and he's like I've I've, I've realised that that it's just like the more you and I both think about it, the less you're doing it. Like, because we was, we'd spend days, weeks talking about how am I going to do this? How am I going to get better? How am I going to deal with all this thinking? How am I going to get my old mind back? How, you know, and, and that's all understandable because you're both terrified and you want to get your life back on track. But until basically I started sort of, yeah, stepping away from all the kind of, theoretical planning how am I going to do this what you know okay so if I gain this amount this week so then by then I'll be and it once I just sort of try to set that aside and think what am I scared of like why aren't I doing it now what am I scared of that's when you start to kind of get somewhere because you think about what you work out what you're scared of and then you act in a way that will I suppose trigger that fear that will that will test that and then you well if you were me you'd scream or cry or whatever but you then had a sense of what that fear was the response it brought out in you but also how you then survive that response and how you take that information forward and and go okay that was horrific because of the thinking that came when I whatever when I um ate to take away or whatever and you know and and you think right okay I then screamed for an hour and I felt horrible with guilt and wanted to undo it la, la, la. but what am I scared of okay well I'm scared that I'll lose control of the eating and I'm scared that I'll put on loads of weight and but actually until you start testing those fears and feeling it feeling that response and not judging it so like I remember my husband saying, I would rather you screamed and shouted and howled at me all day long than try to just control your emotions and dampen it all down and, and not do anything that might spark it. And so I think definitely for me, and I think, you know, Mary, your kind of input in this has, has helped me along the way a lot. And the fact that, you know, judging our response to testing our fears can be a real you know hurdle in actually moving forward like it's only once you can go okay I'm gonna eat that and I may well feel like I want to scream into a pillow I'm gonna scream into the pillow if I want to 
and that's fine. And I think accepting that real internal, physical, I don't know, just, yeah, the non-intellectual side of, of sort of taking on these fears, challenging your fears, has been how I've made the most progress to allow myself to just absolutely feel everything unconditionally in a safe space and then gather the evidence that I can survive that. So given how you work, Mary, tell me what intrigues me is because you work for the NHS and you also work in private practice. There will be people that have heard your early start of this episode talking about how you work and they'll be thinking, hmm, it's not how my NHS system works that I'm used to because people tend to think of NHS therapy as quite conventional. Tell me a little bit more about your work within both spheres and, and how that's worked. I guess so what I do is offer mantra therapy when I and I or a CBT approach uh when I'm in my NHS world that's what I'm offering how I do it is how I'm what I'm talking about here so I still think it makes perfect sense to me it's logical to go something like mantra which is a treatment for anorexia nervosa. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yeah, talk, talk a little bit more about that for those on the podcast that don't know. Okay. So, so mantra. There'll be parents out there that haven't have heard of mantra. And if you haven't, I suggest you kind of look it up. I'm sure you, you know, if you're a parent that's dealing with somebody with an eating disorder, you've probably Googled Maudsley left, right and center. And you know, you know about marzipan and you, you know, there's probably all sorts of things you know about, but mantra is definitely something that you should be a little bit more okay with. Yeah. So mantra, you can buy the, the self-help copy of mantra on, on Amazon. And it's, if you Google a, co- a cognitive interpersonal therapy workbook for treating anorexia nervosa. So mantra is in our service. I'm the mantra lead. I do lots of mantra. I offer training to therapists on mantra. Mantra is, for me, it's really good common sense stuff. And it's looking at, let's understand your eating disorder. Let's understand the who, what, where, when, why of it. Let's understand your motivation to change. Let's understand identity, social, emotional mind, and your, and your thinking styles. So that's that's what mantra is doing how I approach mantra is individual to me so when I'm doing mantra with somebody uh, there's lots of worksheets in mantra which I will lift off the page and into the body so you know it, and, 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 and then someone else who's offering mantra will do it in their way right so that's that's good because we're all individual and the person in front of us is too so so how I practice in, in the NHS because we're a service that offers evidence-based practice is that I will say, yes, we're doing mantra because we are, but when we're doing thinking styles and I want to show you how thought works and how thought is transient by nature, uh, well, let's go outside and do that because the clouds are, are, are there to show us. <laughs> the sky is there to show us what happens in, in our own heads. We live with internal weather. There's, internal, there's external weather too. So anytime you're trying to work out what's going on in your thinking and you can't understand why you feel so low, it's because you've got a storm cloud going on at the moment and you've forgotten that you're the blue of the sky, not the storm cloud. So for example, something like that, or, or maybe um, I'll be working with somebody on their sense of identity and who, who, how they're showing up and it will make sense to me to do a guided imagination where I'll get them to envisage the beach and I'll say think about building a sandcastle and or maybe I've I've done this before Debbie let's actually go and build a sandcastle let's go and do that because when you build a sandcastle you invest time in it and you and you you put little shells on it and you put little flags in it and you like the sandcastle and then if somebody 
stamps on the sandcastle or the, the wave comes in and bashes down the sandcastle, you'll get upset because that was your sandcastle because you've forgotten that there's so much sand <laughs> and you can make another one. So, for ex- so, do you see what I mean? So, so my point there is you are the sand. You're not what you've made from your sand. You are the human being that thinks, dreams, is, imagines, is awake, has consciousness. And what you've done with that sand is you've made this identity or this identity or this identity. Thank God you're the sand then. Because when those identities come and go, and I include an eating disorder within that, you are the sand. You make a new one. You know, you let go of this eating disorder, you make something else out of your sand. You create a different way of showing up, a different sandcastle, a different protection. Do you see? So that's how I would do it is I would just, what's the points that I'm trying to make? And then I would just do it in an experiential way. That sounds fascinating. And I'm sure, you know, you get so much more impact out of people being able to see it tangibly, to notice how they are reacting and behaving when involved in a physical activity. So you know whatever that might be so you use the beach analogy but it might be I don't know doing some kind of planting with somebody in a, an allotment or something you know it's, it's anything isn't it in kind of where actually that's where I think you know you've recently talked about Abby the, the kind of link with nature in healing and um, the opportunity to to use outdoor space and the environment as part of our recovery journey it's not necessarily something that would be in the bible of eating disorder recovery treatment for the NHS but actually yeah darn well should be rather than saying right now you're going to sit on this chair and look at me for 45 minutes and talk about your feelings yeah because I think you know real life doesn't happen in in a, in a kind of NHS walled room and I think it's quite easy having you know been through recovery myself to you know that you sort of you think about that one hour slot a week where you go and you sit in that room with someone and that's you know you do that's that's you doing recovery and kind of forgetting that the real life stuff happens outside of that and that's where the growth and the change really needs to happen um because you know the reality is especially for people who say who've been an inpatient or whatever you know that you get a sense that they start that that becomes their world and and that the real world or that the wider world actually becomes a terrifying thing rather than a landscape where you can really i suppose yeah um organically become who you are without an eating disorder and I think where I, I mean, I, I often talk on this podcast about the importance of wraparound care in eating disorder recovery, because I think all too often, you know, we, if you've gone into treatment or whatever, or you've left your community service team after 25 therapy sessions, you're packing your suitcase, heading home. And actually, where's that wraparound bit that says, and this is what to do in your own kitchen. This is how to go supermarket shopping. This is how to go out for your first restaurant meal out with your mates, you know this is how to go clothes shopping in the clothes that are now four sizes bigger than they were when you started treatment. That immersive stuff I think is really important. So I'm always kind of really quite proud of the Wednesday child perspective on that. And pre pandemic, we did our supportive suppers and you know, they were really important because yes. Okay. It's a challenge. And yes, we could just sit in a community hall instead and say, God, isn't this eating disorder awful, but I've always felt sitting around a table and breaking bread with one another and saying, you know what, we're going to have a bowl of soup today and and we're going to talk about how that feels. And, you know, we're going to hear somebody talk about their journey and all the time we're eating, we're being around food and we're realizing, you know what, it's not awful. But actually if we pretend that thing 
that we're scared of, going back to the fear, if we pretend it doesn't exist and just say, yo, I can't do this immersive, real kind of occupational therapy, practical stuff, really. But if you keep asking me to come for a 45 minutes appointment in a room, as long as you've got a nice color sofa and some tissues, yeah, I'll come, you know, that's not therapy. Life is, as you say, beyond the four walls of the therapy room. I guess, I guess when you're both talking, what I'm, what I'm hearing, and especially when you were talking before, Abby, about what goes on with your husband and the fear and being in the moment, is to me the most important thing is to point out something which I think is perhaps often um, not pointed out, for want of a better sentence. So this is, how, this is how it looks to me, is that recovery is not... We, you know how we often say we're working towards recovery? Like we're working towards recovery. We're looking forward to, you know... We, you know, what's life going to be like? How am And everything that you said, Abby, that was generating fear, I heard was future-based thinking. Yeah. What will I feel like? How will it be? What will people, how will people respond to me? And it's, it's the brain freaking out going, I need to know how things are going to be in the, in the unknown future. And we then, we almost like, if we've got the unknown future here, we almost add this image of this recovered self, of this perfect recovered us into it. And we're like, oh, how do I, how do I get to that? How do I work that out? So to, and I think that sometimes is really overwhelming. So when I say I want to bring it back to the body, what I'm also saying is I want to bring it back to the moment. In this moment, right now, whoever you are and however severe your eating disorder is, you have health now, here, right now. Recovery is within you right now. Recovery is there for you to uncover and discover in this moment. And so I see it as my job to point out how it looks to me as the signals from the, from the innate, innately healthy self that are coming through in this moment, even in the middle of a panic attack. <laughs> Just what I mean, it's like, the, does that make sense? Like in this moment, it's not that you're broken and we're going to work towards you being fixed. It's that you are whole, but you don't think you are. So your experience of yourself isn't that. Yeah, that you're not going to become a different person through recovery. You are already that person, but there's lots of kind of busy thinking and things, which is, yeah. which is, yeah, which is, I suppose, um, limiting your belief in in that person that you are being enough um, and and not needing to be controlled. And yeah, so it's like we often talk about the symptoms of starvation, say in anorexia, like uh, symptoms of illness. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I've got cold hands, I feel dizzy, I feel sick, I've got, you know, gut problems, my hair's falling out, or in a different presentation, my teeth are decaying. It's like all of that as symptoms of the illness, you can see it as. I prefer to see it as the signs from your body signaling what you need in this moment. So when you're feeling sick, that's your innate health going, I need something. In this moment, I need this. When I'm feeling anxiety take over my chest and stop me from being able to swallow and clamming up my hands, that's my body's signal saying, you're believing some insecure thinking right now. You are lost in your own reality. And your body is there going, this, and, and that's why you feel bad. That's why you feel bad. Because, do you see what I mean? So it's, so it's almost like seeing the, I always have a candle with me. It's like, I want to see the light. That's why I've called my business Light of Mind. I want to see the light and help you see why you can't see it. <laughs> That's my job. Uh, not to do something to you, but to pull something from you, to point out what's already within. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure it does. Um, so we talked about mantra. Do you want to talk a little bit about Freed? 
Yeah, I mean, Freed is about early intervention. Freed is about um, getting in as quickly as you can, about um, making sure that people aren't sitting for, on waiting lists for, for, for weeks and months. Um, it's for, at the moment, the uh, Freed pathway is for, the, is for an emerging adult pathway. So it's really trying to make a, gap, a bridge between the gap in CAMS and adult services where there's a huge gap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, that's what Freed is doing. So, the, you know, NHS England have picked up on it. We've been doing Freed in our service for years. It's now being rolled out, which is fantastic. Yeah, I was going to say, how, as a therapist, how do you feel about that? Is it kind of a hallelujah about time too? Or, you know, do you feel positive about how that's being embraced more widely? I think all of us who work on the Freed, who have a Freed pathway, are keen for Freed to be um, Freed for all you know not just under the under 25s like everybody wants everybody to have early intervention so that's why we're getting creative um and in connect we've been very creative about how can we with a limited resource as you as you know so every service every setup of practice whether it's nhs or private has a has a finite resource right we don't have endless amounts of people so how can we best we can um get the message of hope for recovery and get the, the the key messages out there and so in connect what we've been doing and and that's how i've met abby is we've been having an open access pathway so we've been saying you know let's really do early intervention freed is like an early intervention pathway for evidence-based treatment and we've been saying how can we do early intervention for all so we do we make use of social media so we are on we do instagram lives a couple of times a day where someone from the team will go and do a shared snack online or have a conversation about anything that anybody wants to ask online live a couple of times a day we've got our open access pathway on a wednesday night the hub where people can come as, as much as they want so we're really trying to make it you know break down the barriers and 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 i think this is the other thing like make make the professionals if you like accessible humans rather than you know people that are behind these walls that we don't we can't quite access and we don't quite know you know, I'm just, I'm just a human. I say I'm just a human. It's wonderful. Well, you know, we're all wonderful humans. It's a gift, but we are just humans together. And we have some stuff that we think is really helpful in treatment of eating disorders. But it's the, as I said at the beginning, it's that connection and people feeling safe, I hope, with, with us. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of people listening may well, either themselves or, or, or a loved one be, be waiting for treatment or yeah. on one of these endless waiting lists. And that's, you know terrifying and frustrating and I think I think what you do brilliantly um through connect by kind of running these Instagram lives and herbs and things is a sense that you and it's it seems to be you know at the heart of everything you do that thing that you you are recovering now you, you know you know in in six months time when you hit that magical point on the waiting list you're going to be the same person as you are now that you've got what you need now to crack on um and I think having these you know because for me during during lockdown the, the kind of Instagram lives that you guys were doing kind of most days and, and supported snacks and things it felt like a way to you know because my treatment had been put on hold and la 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 it just felt like it felt a really empowering way to be able to be like, actually I, I can do a bit of this just in my day-to-day -day life I can be recovering and I don't have to wait for yeah, this professional that's behind a glass wall that, you know, I'll, I'll never end up getting to. And I think there is that sense because of these 
really prohibitively long waiting lists mm. that people think I can't recover, I can't start recovering mm. until I meet the top of that waiting list. And yes, obviously getting that professional treatment, you know, is is huge. And and but but that's not to say that we can't do anything without it. And I Absolutely. think the more that you kind of go, oh actually I am I am eating this snack just kind of in my own house without a professional telling me to. Um and there's some other people online who are kind of doing the same thing and hey, we're, we're doing it. I yeah. think the more you can get that sense of empowerment that you're, you are recovering, somebody is not, you know, a professional is not making that recovery happen. No, well, unfortunately we can't make that recovery happen. Yeah. So it's about filling out what's going on. the yeah. best basis for it. If you're th- thinking, no, I, I, I am doing this, I can do it. And yes, mm-hmm. of course, having the professionals around you to support you in that and, and help you through that is, hugely important but I do think there is a little bit of a sense sometimes of yeah I'll recover when I get to the top of the waiting list I'll recover when I get a bed in that treatment facility it's like yes but equally I can what can I do today right now to respect my body to start to trust it again and 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 so I think the sense of responsibility and accountability is something I I kind of feel quite strongly about but yeah I, I, I suppose it'd be interesting to hear your take on that and, and kind of where you feel accountability and responsibility kind of lies well that's the thing you see it's like it can, I, I was thinking Debbie when you were saying at the beginning like you would go to sessions and you would sit there for 45 minutes and you was almost like out intellect the therapist <laughs> you know would have these conversations and and it would almost become like a like a I don't know you didn't say this at all but what I heard was like almost like a, almost a battle of the wills or battle of the intellect in those room, in that room and then you'd walk out with it with almost the same level of thinking and discomfort that you walked in with um is that right Sometimes. yeah and, and in in some ways it was worse because you sort of felt in your rational self you knew that the bit that you wouldn't tell those that loved you was you know when they said how was that therapy session and you'd say oh yeah it was really helpful oh no it was really good I'm I'm glad I did that there's another part of you going well I got away with it again but really all that's done is sabotage me further because you know it's a complete waste of time and um that used to feel more lonely and more that I was caught in the deceit and the cycle of being a person I didn't want to be and that is incredibly painful because that's where the solitude of an eating disorder yeah. is the bit that cripples you. I couldn't then tell, you know, the partner I was with at the time who was desperate to know that I was really committed to getting well. Actually, I've just bullshitted my way through that appointment. This person had no clue about eating disorders. They may have had letters after their name, but they hadn't got a clue how to deal with my illness. I'm frightened because they're clueless. I'm still clueless. <laughs> and all I can hear in my head is the noise of the eating disorder. But I'm going to tell you that appointment was fine and we've made progress this week. Yeah, perfect. So that's so here's the thing. So when, I, when you're talking, I'm thinking... So that's what I mean by bypassing the intellect and bypassing the talking and going into and going into the body and going into the soul and going into the space together. That's exactly what I mean. And I'm thinking of a session that I had a few years ago now where I went to someone's house and we were doing it. We were doing a therapy session and I, you know, you know, even even like doing drum therapy, like choose an object for this and tell me what which image best describes this. And the whole time we're talking that she was going through the motions and I was thinking she's not 
you know, this is not, this is not working. This is not connecting. So I remember saying to her, can I just check just in case, just in case I'm making this up. Are you waiting for me to go so you can go for a run? (laughs) (laughs) And she went, yeah. And also whilst I've just been asking those questions, were you calorie counting what you had for breakfast? And she went, yeah. I said, yeah. Yeah. I could feel that from you. I could feel that from you. Should we, should we go there together? <laughs> you know, so it's seeing that it's almost, it's, it, there's one part in mantra, which I love, which is called the hidden parts of me, but we've all got hidden parts of me. I love talking about the inside out nature of the human experience. We've all got this, this, we've all got two conversations happening all the time. So I'm having this conversation with you two now. I'm also having a conversation with myself in my own head. Is this going well? Is this what they wanted? Have I spoken too much? Is this, you know, I'm, 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 we're all doing that. So for me, it's about calling that out. Call that out. You know, I don't want your, I don't, and this comes back to your, your um, point here about responsibility and accountability, Abby. It's like, I don't want you to do this for, for me. I don't want you to tell me what you think I want to hear because all I want to hear is how I can help you. <laughs> all I want to hear is how I can get in there with you. And there isn't a right or wrong way of doing that. And it is messy and it is all over the place. And, you, and that might look like you sobbing into a pillow whilst I sit with you and offer you a tissue. Or it might look like sometimes I'll do this with people, Debbie. And this is, much, this is much more in my private practice because of that freedom. But I'll say, do you know what? Let's just go out and play really loud music on the moor and have a dance on a rock together. <laughs> Let's do that, shall we? Should we go and do that? Or let's just go and lie under the clouds and on, on, on our back and watch, the, and, watch, and watch them for a bit and then talk about how we're feeling in our bodies. Let's do that because it's, in drama therapy, we talk about them as, as um, um, magical moments. So it sounds really drama therapy and, I'm lo- and I love that. I embrace that. I spent years being embarrassed of the sort of, as you said, d- dancing around the room. But I think that's where the healing happens, actually. So it's like those magical moments. If you're in a conversation with someone and, and you're doing a formulation or you're talking and then, you know, there's, there's a massive ray of sun through the window or even a spider runs across the room and suddenly you're back in the moment together. It's like go to the moment, come to the present. Don't overlook that and go, oh, well, sorry, we were busy. It's like, let's go here. That spider just walked in the room. You felt the fear in your body. Your heart's going. Do you know that you're safe to feel fear? Do you know that you're safe to feel fear? Do you know that you're safe to feel it all? Let's go there. Because to me, when someone sees that they are safe to feel the whole human experience, that's a game changer. Because it stops, about, it stops being about being positive or being you know, rational even all the time. It's about being able to feel it all and know that you're held because you are. Tell me a little bit about your book. Um, I'm conscious, kind of, we could talk about all this stuff yes. forever, and I can, I can get lost in the fascination of hearing you talk about it, which is amazing. Um, tell, tell me about the book that you're working on. Yes, so the book is, um, it's called, um, let me get this right now, we've changed the title that many times, um, Beyond Disordered Eating, we've decided to call it. Okay. Um, a Guide to Realising the Wonder of You. So it's, I'm writing it with my colleague and friend, Sarah Parker, who herself suffered with anorexia for 15 years and was in fact a patient in our service. And now she's a therapist and a counsellor and we work together um, in private practice and um, in the NHS. Um, And our book is essentially that. It's a guide to realising the wonder of you. We're pointing out the innate health in people and then using that to understand the ill health 
So what we're doing is we're saying, you know, this experience that you're having of your eating disorder um, is, a, is your own, it's your own reality in, uh, that, you're, that you're living in, but there's, that there are other realities. There's more to you than this. So much more to you than this. <laughs> this is where you are. It's not who you are. So the book is essentially our attempt to, to reach out and, and connect with people's connect with people's health and point that out because i think that so much of the time when um people go for treatment with their eating disorder the focus is on the illness let's understand the illness let's understand how this started let's understand what's keeping this going let's understand what's keeping you stuck and that is absolutely important i really see that as valid but what i see as equally valid is let's understand your health let's understand where that comes from let's understand how you recognize your health let's understand how you recognize your intuition and do you see that you are not broken and that there's always hope? Because if people think that, they're, that, that, you know, that for them it's not going to be possible and they're going to have to somehow learn to live with this. You know, the, the thing is, Debbie, it's really interesting. This weekend, um, this week I had a bit of a shocker earlier this week, which I'm happy to talk about. One of my children became poorly, really quite poorly. And we went into hospital. She was admitted into hospital. All I wanted anyone to tell me was that it was going to be okay. I didn't need to know the ins and outs of the treatment. I didn't need to know all of it. I just wanted someone to hold my hand and say, it's going to be okay. And to me, that is the message to get out because it is okay. You are safe. You know, and that's what we're trying to do with our book, Debbie, is we're trying to say, you're all right and you're suffering. And those are happening at the same time. You're healthy and you're poorly at the same time and I want to I want us to really focus on that health so that we can help you dissolve that illness wow. because I think one point yeah I think like and I suppose there'll be maybe quite a lot of parents listening to this who maybe feel like they the child that they know and love has completely gone that that, that yeah. there is no part of them that they recognize anymore and I yeah. having been there myself I remember oh particular days where I would wake up and I'd be like I do not recognize myself physically or mentally at all anymore yes yes, yes. and it's you know it's the most terrifying thing in the world where you yes. think you've gone because what are you if you've gone and I think so I suppose yes. you know what for those parents who kind of have got this teenager at home or someone who's living with a partner who has this this these illnesses like what would be your message to them and what should they focus on should it be building the health that you believe is there even if they don't or you know yeah I don't know okay okay I'm gonna give a story and I've got I've got thinking going on about whether this will this will make sense so you two can tell me whether this whether you, this speaks to it I'm going to talk about something else to come back to that point a couple of weeks ago I'm driving through town I've got my three kids in the back I'm at the lights and on the pavement slumped to the right were two people, young, quite young, sort of 17, 18 year old, a boy and a girl who I thought had probably taken something like heroin. Like they were really out of it. Mm -hmm. And because they were young and I was there at the lights, I thought, I can't, I, I don't know if there's an ambulance about, I, they need some care, right? So I do what occurs to me, I pull in, I put the car on flashes, I go over to them and I'm like trying to shake them. This girl's covered in bird poo because she's been laid there for so long. And I'm, sh and I'm shaking her, I'm going, are you okay? Is, can, you can you tell me your name? You know, I'm trying to get their attention. 
for a while, right? I'm there for a while. Whilst I'm there on my knees, two policemen come over. Get up, they say. Get up. And I'm thinking, that's weird. Why are you being like that with her? She's, she's not well. She's, you can't be like that. And I swear to you, within a minute, they were both stood up, those people. They were stood up and they were sort of tottering down the pavement. And I'm going, hang on a minute. I've been down here for 15 minutes trying to shake them gently. And now they're walking down the pavement. What's that about? That's what I thought of when you were talking, Abby. Mm-hmm. When we see someone with an eating disorder, what we're seeing with our eyes is fragility, fear, um, a physical illness, hair, hair loss, frailty, you know, um, we're seeing the behaviours. We're not seeing the health. We can't see it. And we can't hear it either. Because it's not talking to us and we're not seeing it in, in human form. Does this make sense to you? We're not, that's not what's in front of us. So of course it makes sense that we're talking to someone as if they're broken, as if they're, we're walking on eggshells. We're like, oh God, can't say that, mustn't suggest that. They, you know, they, they might react and we might have another blow up. And, and I'm saying see their health and talk to their health, even though you can't actually see it with your eyes. A bit like those police officers did. They were like, let's see what happens here. And suddenly those people responded very differently. Is this making sense? Yeah. And, I'm, and then when I'm with someone with an eating disorder, I, I can, with my third eye, if you like, with my, I can see there's health in there. And I know that you can't see it yet and other people can't see it yet, but I can see it. So if I talk to your health, it is more likely that your health will talk back. Mm. So for an example of that, someone's sitting there and they're, I can't have this, Mary. I can't have this snack. I can't, I can't have it. You don't, you know, okay, deep down, what do you know to be true about that? Sort of thing. Yeah. But I don't know what I know deep down. I don't, I'm being in role here. I don't know what I know deep down about that. I just, if I have this and I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to feel really awful and I won't be able to cope with it. And okay. And in the moment, in this moment, right now, where are we at right now in this do you see what i'm doing it's like it's like i'm i'm hearing what they're saying i'm not invalidating it i'm i'm have such a lot of compassion for it and i know there's someone else there's something else in there that i want to meet with yeah wow actually i think if if you are a parent or um somebody caring for someone or even just you know a friend or something that feels quite challenged by how you can support someone with an eating disorder I think if you can take the last few minutes of our conversation there away and think, talk to the health of that loved one. I think that is just such a massive thing. And I, and I never heard it expressed that way, um, Mary, but I think it's, it's invaluable um, as an approach because when we're trying to support someone, we get stuck in, we make the mistake of repeating our own patterns of, you know, never mind the person who's struggling with their eating disorder repeating patterns, we too start repeating patterns in the way we Absolutely. try and help support. So we perpetuate the cycle of, you know, challenge, don't we? So, yeah. So, so let me just make this one last point is that when, when somebody, what I will often say to the people that I'm working with who I have deep respect for, deep respect for, I haven't suffered with an eating disorder myself. I, don't, I haven't been in that reality. So all I can do is go, I can see that you are believing into your thinking. You've lost, you've got yourself lost there because that's what happens. And there's something else. What, I, what I'm not going to do is get into an argument with your eating disorder identity because I won't win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't win. 
I won't win. So I will say to people often, I'm not going to go, I'm not even going to go there with you. I'm not going to try and barter or negotiate or, or with you, with your eating disorder. Um, you've tried that I'm not going to try that this isn't going to work let's go somewhere else yeah so it's it's so actually Debbie what I'm doing is I'm going to a completely different space within them and 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 talking to a different part of them and almost rather than I think this is what happens with carers and loved ones and therapists is that it becomes like an external um version a therapy session or a conversation over dinner can become an external version of the internal battle that someone who's suffering with an eating disorder is having so it's almost like the carers become the rational self and therefore the person who's suffering almost inhabits more the eating disorder self and those two battle. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to inhabit, I'm not going to inhabit the rational part of you. I need you to do that. Yeah. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been fascinating, Mary. I think um, I, I sense we could have you back regularly <laughs> and, um, yeah, still find new anecdotes to uh, talk about. So, gosh, wow, you just, you have such a fascinating perspective. And I think it's, it's so helpful for people that are trying to wade their way through the treacle that is this illness, either coming from a carer perspective or the person living with it. I think it is really helpful to hear other voices, other approaches, and just have that hope reminded. I, I think that's, you know, you talked about it before. I think, you know, that if hope is a candle, it's still burning, it's still there. And, you know, let's breathe life into that. So. Absolutely. Super. Thank you so much. It was really lovely chatting to you. And, and you. And guys and girls listening to this, um, you know, if you've got any questions and you'd like us to have Mary back and uh, us do a future question and answer session i'm sure we could do that because i think collectively we could all speak for eternity on this yeah. <laughs> i hope you enjoyed the episode thanks again Absolutely. to mary and to abby take Thank care you. and until next time that was the wednesday's child podcast <laughs>